Welcome to Sunday Night and BFC. Uh, glad you're with us. Uh, it's a little strange being uh, apart from each other, but uh, we're going we're gonna to see what God will do to bless us and encourage our hearts. Uh, we're going to start a new series tonight. I had uh, originally thought that uh, our next series would be out of the book of Leviticus, but I'd like to save that until we can come back together in, uh, in person. And so we're going to do, do a study for these weeks that we're apart out of the book of Malachi. Uh, we want to see if we can find some encouragement for our hearts there. And so if you have your Bible with us, uh, with you, uh, turn to Malachi chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5 tonight. Malachi 1, 1 through 5. And this is what the word of the Lord says. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country, and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask him to bless our study tonight. Lord, we do pray. We do ask you to bless our study tonight. We cannot do this in our own strength. We can do it in our own strength, but nothing wonderful will happen. And we need you to, to help us tonight. We need to understand what it is you have to say to us. And so come tonight and help us. We're counting on you. Even though we're apart, we still need you to be among us tonight and to help us to be united together around your word. So help us, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, perhaps the most precious possession that anyone can have is the sure and certain knowledge that you are loved. It's not an exaggeration to say that our lives hang by the thread of the knowledge that the people who are the most important to us really love us. Without such assurance, our lives become a colorless gray, unstable, fearful, and don't have any certainty of meaning. We may pretend that we don't care. But at the most basic level of our personalities, we care desperately. We long to be loved by those we admire. The people of Israel had come back home from their captivity in Babylon to find a country decimated. Overgrown fields, dangerous beasts, hostile neighbors, torn down walls around Jerusalem. Their temple completely leveled. The joy of being allowed to go home after seven years of miserable captivity in Babylon had been surpassed by the sheer difficulty of daily living. By the time Malachi wrote his book, they'd been back in the land for nearly a hundred years. Through much struggle and conflict, they had rebuilt the temple, but it was a mere shadow of the great structure that Solomon had built on the same piece of land years earlier. Nehemiah had come and gone, they had rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem through much strife and opposition from enemies within and without. All of this was now past, and perhaps the greatest enemy of all that was confronting the people 
in these years was simply this, routine life in a hard place to live. Yes, they were back in their own land, but where were the blessings that God had promised them? The scriptures read to them by Ezra had told of the glories of God, the things that he had done for his people in the past. Well, where was the God of Moses? Joshua, King David, Solomon. That God that had done wonders for his people, where was he? Where was he in their day? Where were the promised blessings of being the people of God? All they saw around them was routine worship, daily struggle, and silence from heaven. They still went to the temple, but it had all become just a formalistic ritual and a bore to their souls. It was just a duty to do. It was just something to get out of the way as quickly as possible and only to be done for the purpose of securing God's blessing. And even that didn't seem to be working. And into this scene, God sent Malachi. My messenger was the meaning of his name. God had a word for his people, and his word was, I have loved you. Would they believe him? How can we be sure that God loves us? What's the evidence that we've been given to comfort our hearts when life seems routine, uneventful, unblessed? When life doesn't turn out to be what we were expecting, where do we go to find color, security, and meaning? Well, tonight we'll discover that since God has chosen us to be his very own people, we should never be in doubt of his love or his sovereignty. First of all, in verses 1 through 2a, we find a love note from God. God spoke to his people through Malachi, my messenger, for their correction and their encouragement. He spoke to them even when they were in a time of discouragement characterized by lukewarm religion, things that they just carried out in, through formal duties, devoid of any warmth of heart or, or passion in what they were doing. But they were still went to the temple. They still took their sacrifices. They paid, after a fashion, their tithes. But the whole thing had been reduced to almost nothing as far as their hearts were concerned. The truth was that their priests had become corrupt and bored in their duties. The people were robbing God of tithes. The sacrifices they were bringing to the altar were animals that nobody would want for any good use. They were blind, lame, and deformed. And they were even marrying pagan women, a thing that God had specifically warned them not to do. But the people were coming to worship at the appointed times, and they were expecting that God would bless them because of their quote-unquote faithfulness in performing this duty of worship. Well, what would God have to say to them, do you suppose? What would you say to them if you were God? Would it surprise you to hear God's word to such a lukewarm, half-hearted people was, I have loved you. God didn't go into a bedroom in heaven and sulk. He didn't go passive-aggressive and silently refuse to speak to such a crowd as that. He chose instead to point out his love for them. He spoke, and words are supernatural things. The point here is that God speaks to us about his love for us even when we don't deserve it. Now, the book of Proverbs assures us that a soft answer turns away wrath. And when I was in Bolivia, I discovered that the principle even worked with dogs in the street. There were a lot of dogs loose in the streets of Cochabamba, Bolivia. 
And as far as I could tell, they had no discernible owners. And from time to time, these dogs exhibited threatening behavior towards strangers like me. Now, there were two ways that you could deal with them. The Bolivians would bend down and pretend to pick up a rock, and then they would motion as if throwing it at the dog. Usually this did the trick, and the dog cowered back, waiting for the rock to arrive and causing pain. The other way, as I discovered, was simply to speak softly to the dog in a calm and friendly manner. Usually this totally confused them. They would slink away with puzzled looks on their little doggy faces. They didn't know what to make of it. I don't think anybody had ever done that to them before. But what I learned was a soft answer really does turn away wrath. Now, in just this same way, when God spoke to his people, his communication to them wasn't a thrown rock, but a soft answer. I have loved you. Anyone discouraged because God seems to have withdrawn himself, seemingly hiding behind a cloud somewhere, anyone discouraged needs to know that even in our moments of failure and disappointment, God does not forget his people. He does not forget that his people are his people. He speaks to us even when we're letting him down. His choice of us is a forever choice. His choice for us is a forever love. His love for us is a forever love. He speaks to us to bring us back into fellowship with himself. Dear one, are you discouraged? Do you feel as if God has forgotten his promises to you? Are you wondering where he is when you need him the most? Well, all I can say to you is, open your Bible. God has a word for you, and his word is, I have loved you. There's a reason why God opened the conversation with his people through Malachi with this word, I have loved you. The reason is that everything we receive from God flows down from his love for us. All that God has done for us, all that he has to say to us comes from this reality that God has loved us. In our moments of discouragement, let us open our Bibles and let us hear afresh his voice of assurance. I know things are tough. I know that life is routine and difficult and hard right now, he seems to say to us. But take comfort in this truth. I have loved you. Verses 2b through 4 give us the people's response. The people said, well, we'd like some proof, please. God had graciously spoken to his people, but they weren't buying it. They doubted his love. Notice the word how in their question. How have you loved us? Now, what were they saying? They were saying, we don't see any evidence of your love. Where's the proof that you love us? Where are the blessings that we served you for? What good does it do our going to the temple to offer our sacrifices? doesn't seem to be resulting in anything at all. We're keeping our part of the bargain, but you aren't being faithful. It's an accusation. You know, there's more than a hint of blasphemy in the implication that they're making about God's character. In fact, though they thought that they were worshiping God by going to the temple— Everything they were doing was simply a formalistic sham. Their bodies were going to the temple, but their hearts were staying home. And this put them not in God's camp, but in the devil's. Listen again to the implication of their question. 
You may be speaking to us, but your word isn't trustworthy, they seem to be saying. You may say that you love us, but we don't see any evidence of your love. Now, these are the same accusations that Satan has been making against God every day since the Garden of Eden. They were siding with God's enemy. How would God respond? A soft answer turns away wrath. God's response was simply to give them the proof that they asked for. He told them, I chose you when I chose your forefather Jacob and cast aside Jacob's brother Esau. I made you a nation of my choice and Edom the people with whom I will be angry forever. God reminded him them that they were a chosen people, that he had set his love upon them even before they were born, even before they could do anything good or bad, as Paul tells us, quoting that passage in Romans. Though their lives were hard at the moment, they were still the people of God's choosing. They were still the nation that he had called into existence to receive his blessing. God had chosen them. He had made them his special people, and this was a forever choice. What greater proof of love could there be? The doctrinal point is that the proof that God loves us is his forever choice of us to be his people. Remember recess at grade school? Remember how teams were chosen? The most popular or the most able kids served as the captain of each team, and they alternately picked who would play on their teams. Kid after kid was chosen, one at a time, until only two were left. Now, who were the last two remaining? Inevitably, the least popular, or the least able, of course. It was never encouraging to find out that you were the last one picked, because it meant that you were the least desired, the least loved among your peers. Would it encourage you to know that you were not the last one picked by God to play on his team, but the first one. The scriptures tell us that he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. That's Ephesians 1, verses 4 through 6. The mystery of God's sovereignty intersecting with man's responsibility may puzzle us, but one thing is not in doubt. Since we have come to faith in Christ, we can rest assured that God has loved us because he chose us and adopted us into his family in Christ before the foundation of the world. We may not understand how it all works, but that is a fact that is beyond dispute because God says it is so. And that means that God has loved you. Full stop. God's choice of us has everything to do with who he is and nothing to do with who we are. Until we realize this, we're always going to question his love for us as the people of Malachi's day were doing. 1 John tells us that we love because he first loved us. That's 1 John 4.19. It is his love that kindles our love. So long as we think that our salvation is even partly because of our performance, we'll find ourselves in the same boat as Malachi's generation. 
doubtful of God's love, suspicious of God's truthfulness. If we imagine that He chose us because we somehow chose Him first, or that He chose us because we are somehow of more value than others around us, or that He has chosen us because we are in some particular way useful to His program. In other words, if we secretly believe that He chose us because of our performance rather than out of pure unselfish love, we'll never be able to love Him as we ought to, and we'll never feel secure in our salvation. We have to see that it is all His love for us that has come to our rescue and our security. Because if any of it depends on our efforts or our value, our case is hopeless. Dear one, your salvation is not a result of your performance of religious duties or of some practice of formal rituals. It's not a matter of uh, how pious uh, you can work up the feelings in your heart. Those things are all experienced by pagans and heretics and atheists, too. No, no. The only reason that you are saved is because God loved you, not because of who you are, but in spite of who you are. He has loved us and chosen us just because he loved us and chose us and for no other reason. You have been loved. The truth is that you have been chosen and are loved by God. Now, what difference does it make in our lives if we realize this? Look at verse 5. This truth brings our worship to life. When we've really seen this, our worship becomes formidable rather than formal. When we're gripped by this truth that God has chosen us to be part of his family just because he loves us, our hearts spring up and cry out in joy, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. In other words, Great is the sovereign God who loves us and reigns over all the earth. We'll not begin to enter into true worship until we realize the astounding graciousness of God's choosing us to become his children. The people of Malachi's day were stuck in dead, formalistic religious worship that could not bring them into the presence of God to experience his blessings. Many in the professing church today are in exactly the same condition. They imagine that their performance should be earning them blessing. When the expected blessings do not appear, they doubt God's love. They doubt the truth of his promises. What do these people need? They need to know that God has loved them and that it's the greatest blessing a man can have to know that he's been blessed and loved by God. The doctrinal point here is simply God's sovereign love for us should set our heart singing. When we really see this truth, then our hearts begin to sing the praises of the sovereign Lord of all creation. Praise begins to rise from our hearts when we fully realize that we are in the plans of a great sovereign Savior. When we see His glory, We enter into the reward of the righteous. Our reward for all of eternity will be to see him in all of his glory. And right now we taste just a little bit of that reward whenever we catch a glimpse of what he has done for us just because he loves us. 
chosen from before the foundation of the world, chosen in Christ before you could do anything, either good or bad, chosen for the purpose of showing God's grace and glory for all of eternity, chosen by God, loved one. You and I have been chosen by God. Father, we thank you for the grace that you have shed upon us. We thank you for your glory. We thank you that you have shared yourself with us. We thank you that we are loved from before the foundation of the world. We praise you. We glorify you. We celebrate your name. Now, by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the companionship of the Holy Spirit, go with and rest and remain on each one. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. Glad you were here with us tonight. We'll look forward to being together again next Sunday night and studying another portion of God's Word out of the book of Malachi. In the meantime, stay safe. You are loved by God.